Good morning. Oh, I can hear myself, so that means it's working. Good. Um, it's a real pleasure to be with you. Please do take a seat. Um, get comfortable. You're going to be here for the next couple of hours. No. Um, uh, uh, it's a real privilege for me to be speaking with you this morning. Let's just start with a prayer. Father, I just pray that you uh, would come speak to us in our hearts this morning by your Spirit. Take what I've prepared, Lord, but speak your words to each of us this morning. So I'm Tim. Um, I've been part of this church probably for longer than I actually can really remember, uh, probably in the region of 12, 13 years now. Um, served in lots of different ways, um, and this is a way that I really enjoy serving, by speaking. Um, but it's been a couple of years, I think, since I last spoke, so it really is uh, a privilege um, to speak again this morning. For those of you online and joining in at home, um, welcome. Um, God will speak to you as well, I'm sure. Um, and... Uh, uh, it's great to have you with us, whether you're here or whether you're joining online. I'll be speaking from Isaiah this morning, um, but uh, I want to start with a question. So, if you had the choice between world peace or all of Bill Gates' money, what color would your Lamborghini be? Uh, I'm going to speak on choices this morning, and I'm sure none of you would really choose a Lamborghini, would you? Um, but um, uh, today's passage from Isaiah um, is, is about choices. It's about priorities. Um, and uh, our choices are powerful. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. So the passage is Isaiah 50, verse 4 to 11. Um, I've just realized I didn't look it up in the church Bible this morning, so I can't direct you to the page number. Someone helpful might call out in a moment. 737, that's my wife, very helpful, thank you. Uh, 737, um, starting from verse 4 and through to verse 11. I'm going to read it out, you can follow it through on the screen as well. Um, so, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me, morning by morning wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I've offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in darkness, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now... All you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you will receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. So preaching from the Old Testament um, always um, uh, means uh, a little bit more diligence in preparation because it's not often, at least for me, because it's not often we tur I turn there when I'm reading. So I'm less familiar with it. But it's a really good discipline. And for me, uh, uh, I'm always looking for Jesus on every page that I turn in the Bible. And there's plenty here on Jesus. 
Now for us, with the benefit of the New Testament and reading the words and stories of Jesus captured there, uh, it's really easy just to read this as straight prophecies about Jesus and his life. This is from a section of Isaiah called Servant Songs. There's lots of comfort and consolation uh, and, and uh, prophecies that foreshadow Jesus' life. However, the words are being spoken by Isaiah about six to seven centuries before Jesus. Um, and, and while he's definitely foretelling Jesus through these servant songs, he's also speaking about some of his own experiences and what's happened to him while he has tr- tried faithfully to follow God's leading. And in fact, the kind of experiences he talks about are pretty common for prophets. Those who listen to God and speak his now word to the people around them throughout the Old and the New Testament, doing what is right by God and therefore ultimately what's best for man often comes at a personal cost. Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern. Elijah was threatened and chased across the country. Um, Daniel was thrown into a pit of lions. Thankfully that one uh, and most of the others turn out all right. But in the New Testament, Paul was thrown in prison numerous times. Uh, Stephen was even stoned to death. So who'd want to be a prophet? It's not an easy or a comfortable job. Now, as I said, I want to talk about choices uh, this morning. Prophets were always talking about choices and also their consequences. Their role was to point people towards God and towards making better choices, which were usually not the easy ones but were those that would lead to long-term benefits, to blessing, as opposed to short-term ease or comfort. So thinking about choices and integrity, there are three lessons I want to try and draw out from this passage today. Um, And heads up, lessons one and three, pretty much the flip side of each other, so there won't be too much to remember. So lesson one, doing the right thing usually costs something. Integrity is expensive, but not as expensive as a lack of it. So verses 5 and 6, the sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I've offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. So the word integrity is a, um, a word that we use to describe how capable the hull of a ship is to keep out water and keep the boat afloat. It's also the word that we use to describe bridges and buildings um, and how capable they are of being strong enough to do the job that they're intended to do. It's also a word that we often ascribe a lack of to in our leaders. When integrity fails, it is not just the hull of the ship that's affected. It's everything the ship is carrying. When integrity fails, it's not just the building or the bridge that it affects. It is all those that that are in it or being supported by it. When integrity fails, it impacts all of those in the vicinity. We implicitly want and expect uh, others to act with integrity, and we're upset when they don't. 
This is even true for those who lack their own integrity. I know this because thieves don't like being stolen from. We all intuitively expect this moral standard from others, and we implicitly know how important other people's integrity is to us. But if we're honest, we're probably better at spotting a lack of integrity in others than we are in ourselves. Now, I find this expectation or desire um, for integrity in others really interesting. I see it as an evidence that humanity sees a need for a moral standard outside of, or maybe not determined by the individual themselves. Which is in real contrast, isn't it, to the culture that we live in, which is very individualistic, which says if it's not hurting anyone, it's okay to do it. But for me, this thinking falls down. As when we break integrity, like our example of a ship or a bridge or a building, it never affects just us. It affects others those that we are connected to, and especially those who love and rely on us. Think about, um, and this is a while ago now, but Robert Maxwell stealing the pensions of his employees. That affected families for years and years. When integrity fails in a person, it impacts those around them, and if serious enough, even the generations that follow on. It damages families, destroys livelihoods, um, and marks people who were often not at fault themselves, but end up being scarred by infidelity, selfish financial decisions, ultimately the prioritization of what I want over what's best for those around me. Doing the right thing is often not easy. Living God's way won't necessarily be understood by those around us but it will enable us to maintain our integrity. And when we fail, which we all do, to begin to build back and set things as right as we possibly can. For Isaiah, doing the right thing in warning people got him beaten and mistreated, and ultimately, scholars believe, led to him retiring from public life and starting to write his prophecies down rather than sharing them or, um, uh, orally. For us, it will affect the choices that we choose to make at school, at work, and how we conduct ourselves. It means looking past the immediate context um, and, and, and using wisdom to discern the consequences of the choices that we want, may want to make. It means thinking about what is best for others as opposed to what is best or comfortable for me. You know, this can put us at odds at times with those around us. And I remember being at a conference once and hearing someone tell a story of being challenged by their boss because they weren't overclaiming enough on the, they weren't overclaiming on their expenses. And the boss told them, "You're making the rest of the team look bad." Now, the individual refused to go along with it, because A, they knew it was wrong, and B, they knew it would be found out in the end. They used knowing they chose to maintain their integrity despite pressure from those around them. This cost him relationships with people that he worked with uh, and was hard, but he chose to look at what was best uh, in the future rather than what was comfortable or maybe even attractive now. Integrity matters to us and to those around us. God's focus is on our long-term thriving, 
not on our short-term benefit or comfort. And he has built a world that relies on mutual care and support for everyone to thrive. So in short, my integrity, your integrity, matters. Lesson two, we don't do any of this on our own. What God thinks and says about us should matter more than anything else. Not because we're worried about getting things wrong or or being punished, but because God created us and wants absolutely what's best for us. He's our Father, and He loves us. So when we're seeking to do what is right, it might be difficult, it might cost us, but we can be confident that God is with us and will support us. We can be bold, like Isaiah, setting his face like flint and being determined to do the right thing, just like Jesus did centuries after him. And face up to challenges or to our accusers to do it. But we must place our hope and trust in God who will provide us strength and encouragement. Verses seven and eight, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I can be determined. I can be confident. I know I will not be put to shame because he who vindicates me is near. He helps me. He's near. The thing that's tough about this is that until we've trusted God and stepped out to do it, until we've exercised a level of faith, you kind of feel like you don't know if God's going to be there. And that's not easy. But until we try... We don't know, and that is faith. Faith is the stepping out in belief to see God come through. It's really interesting um, to me how some Christians can be rude about those who disagree with them. They feel that they are right, and they forget to treat people with respect. Looking down on others is not what being confident in God is about. Isaiah, if you remember, offered his back to those who beat him, as did Jesus. They were not afraid to be mocked or spat on. Jesus was obedient obedient all the way to death and taught us still to love our enemies. We are not to be righteous in ourselves, but rather to be confident in God. And so, because we are confident in God, be able to be determined and also to treat each other's well, even if we end up being mistreated ourselves. And you know, this is a key area of integrity, loving others no matter how they treat us. Jesus taught us to treat others as we would want to be treated, not to return evil for evil, which of course makes a very unhappy spiral. This isn't easy, and it's so counter to the culture that we live in that it can sometimes feel like the wrong or the weak thing to do when in fact it is the right and the best thing. Loving your enemies is never a weak choice. It takes tremendous courage. Listen to this story from um, the, uh, when, the, when the, the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission was operating. 
after apartheid had ended in South Africa. This is uh, uh, recorded in a book, Can It Be True? A Personal Pilgrimage Through Faith and Doubt by Michael Wakeley. Um, after apartheid ended in South Africa, a white police officer named Mr. Van der Burke was put on trial. The court found that he had come to a woman's home, shot her son at point-blank range, and then burned the young man's body on a fire while he and his officers partied nearby. The woman's husband was killed by the same men, and his body was also burned. A member of the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission turned to her and asked, so what do you want? How should justice be done for this man? I want three things, the woman said confidently. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. My husband and son were my only family. I want secondly, excuse me because I might struggle to get through this, uh, I want secondly for Mr. Vanderburg to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out the love on him whatever love I still have on him. Finally, I would like Mr. Vanderburg to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side, lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vanderburg, <laughs> excuse me, give me a moment, uh, in my arms, embrace him and let him know that, I, that he is truly forgiven. Tell me after that story that loving your enemies is a weak choice. That kind of love is hard. Hate and loathing are easy. That kind of love is hard. Lesson number three. Ultimately, our choices matter. This is the flip side of in, This is all combined with that, thinking about integrity. Verse 10 to 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now, all of you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches that you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Verse 11, for me, is talking about living in your own light, going your own way rather than with God. Doing what we want, being driven by our appetites, or choosing um, what is easy will ultimately lead to disappointment and even torment. You know, the example I gave earlier of the person over, not overclaiming on their expenses, they could easily have lost their job or the ability to support their family by just doing what was easy because they would have been found out eventually. Doing what is right leads to life for us and those around us, even if there's a, a dip in our comfort levels for doing so. And you know, this is the central message of pretty much every prophet from Moses onwards. Choose wisely. Don't just go with the flow. Choose life. 
Choose integrity. Choose to follow the creator who loves you and knows what is best for you and those around you. We all know people who prioritize things other than their integrity or who don't recognize the consequences of their own choices. I have a friend who made it his mission to have fun. He's great with people, he's bright, he was really good at sports. Prioritizing fun gave him a great set of experiences in his 20s, but has left him with no firm foundation to live from at this point. He has limited skills and experience with which to build a career. He spends his time trying to chase back to his 20s and looks to sources of short-term happiness rather than choosing things that build towards long-term, stable happiness and lasting joy. When I last saw him, he was stuck in a place of trying to escape the disappointment that he'd built up for himself. Um, uh, rather than building a way out, he just couldn't see a longer view. Don't get me wrong, God's not against fun. He invented it. We all need to have it. What I'm talking about is prioritizing. How do we prioritize the way that we live and order our lives? If we misprioritize, we choose things that erode our integrity, lead us to poor choices, and ultimately disappointment. And when we choose really poorly, to torment. And you know, our choices are on us. God's given us the power to choose. If he hadn't, the prophets wouldn't encourage us to choose better. God's given us the power to choose life with, in, and through his son. And he's given us the choice, if we want, to choose to go our own way. So a big question this morning for us is, what are we choosing day by day? Where might our choices be leading us? Are we building a firm foundation for our future, potentially sacrificing short-term comfort or happiness? Or are we misprioritizing and enjoying digging ourselves into a hole that might be hard to get out of later? Do you know, I think there are probably people here today who might need or want to take stock and stop digging. That's not a word of knowledge. It's the law of averages. But there's always hope. In the New Testament, in Luke 15, Jesus tells the parable of the lost son. Uh, Wayne earlier mentioned the lost sheep. It's part of a set of three parables around lost things and how God treats them. You might know it as the prodigal son. Um, and remember, if anyone's got um, a desire to write a rap, Wayne is on the lookout. Um, so this is a parable about someone who chose to live according to their own desires and prioritize fun over integrity, and ultimately over their own future. This leads them to break family relationships and ultimately into poverty and misery. The story continues, though, and Jesus shows us that God is a father who lets us choose, and when we choose poorly, will release us to the consequences of those choices so that we can learn from them. Yet, all the while, the father is hoping that we will choose his way. And we see in that story him watching for the return of his son. The son chooses to go back to the father. 
And uh, immediately, as soon as the father sees him, he's there. Not with a punishment. Not with harsh words. But he is there, and he restores him immediately back to his place in the family. And, he, and, God, uh, and the father even throws a party. See, God's not against fun. You know, we all dig ourselves into holes from time to time. God does not want to bury us in them, but to restore us and help us to clamber out of them. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. But he also allows us to choose. So, in summary, three lessons. Lesson one, our integrity matters. It builds happiness and life for us and those around us. Lesson two, God does not leave us on our own to do the right thing. He supports us and strengthens us, especially when the right thing comes at at a cost. Lesson three, when we get it wrong and make mistakes, God is watching and waiting for our return. He wants to restore and help us. So as we end today, think about the choices that you've made this week. Are they taking the long view and building towards your longer-term happiness? Where do you feel pressured to compromise at times? My encouragement to you is to talk about that with someone and pray for strength. Or maybe this morning you are in that place where you are wanting to clamber out of a hole. If so, God wants to help you, and so do we as a church family. We all make mistakes, big and small. It's never too late to choose better, to choose life. Um, If any of those bits, and I'll pray in a moment, but if any of those bits have spoken to you today, my encouragement is, if you're here in the building, to stay for prayer at the end of the service. Anyone involved in the service this morning would be really happy to pray with you um, or any of the Connect Group leaders as well. Um, If you're at home, my suggestion is that you take time to talk to someone that you know follows Jesus day by day. They will bring grace and they will encourage and support you. Okay, let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to live lives of integrity and to do what is right even when it costs us. Help us, Lord, in those times to be confident that you are for us even when it feels that the world is against us. Lord, when we see those around us weary, help us to be like Isaiah and to be like our Lord Jesus. Morning by morning, listening to you that we may have well-instructed tongues to bring encouragement and give strength to others. Help us to be your mouthpieces to each other and the world, that we might all make better choices, even when they are hard. Help us to help each other to make good choices. And Lord, when we fail, help us to learn from them quickly and return to you, knowing that you've been waiting to restore us and might even throw a party on our return. Thank you, Lord.
be with us this week as we make choices day by day.